Okay, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, but we're really going to tease apart verses 2 through 6. And I want to ask you some questions because I want to draw you into the text before we uh, jump into the verses and then really digging in. I asked these questions last month and I felt it was apropos to ask them again as we dig into chapter 2. So... Here's some of the questions. What is the counsel that you're exposing yourselves to every day? What is that counsel? It should be obvious to all of us by now, as I've said before, that God has designed us with an important need to receive counsel directly from Him. Right? So every day you and I are being counseled or bombarded with information in some way by someone daily. And if you think about it, if you're on any of the social media platforms, and I pointed this out many times before, your mind, your life is being counseled and influenced, whether you realize it or not, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, or a host of any other of the other um, platforms online, there is this ongoing intense influence that is trying to speak into and even govern your heart, and it's actually shaping how you and I view the world. That's just the way it is. Even the music we listen to shapes the way we think, brings up emotions in us. So I want us to really be thinking about those questions as we dig into the text. So I'm going to read... Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and I want you to follow along in your Bibles. You listening around the world, follow along if you have a Bible with you. This is directly from the Word of God. Solomon, again, continuing to speak to his son. He says, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom... Literally, if you're paying attention, inclining your ear to understanding, if you cry out for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, seeking her as silver and searching for her as hidden treasure, then then you will discern the fear of the Lord and you will discover the knowledge of God. So let's dig that apart this morning. So let's look at Proverbs 2.1. Just a recap from last week. So he says in Proverbs 1, slide 3, My son, if, there's your clause, if you will receive my words, treasure my commandments within you. In slide 4, the New Living Translation says it like this, My son, listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. So what did we learn last week? He says, if... You will receive my words. That word receive, if you remember from last week, has the idea in the Hebrew of taking into your possession, taking into one's possession, or storing up treasure, or hiding and concealing that treasure, but for a definite purpose. So there's a lot lot wrapped around that word receive. And if you remember last week, it was... The, the way I was viewing it, I was trying to, you know, I have sons, so I'm trying to picture this as a father talking to his, you know, his son. It would be like, son, hear me. Son, listen. I, I have something that you need, but you don't yet possess it, son. Son, listen. Son, I have this knowledge and I have this wisdom that you need. So, son, please humble yourself and be willing to receive what I'm going to say to you. See, Solomon, knowing this, he wants his son's heart to be this inner sanctuary. The, the word I used last week was naos. Do you remember the temple? The, the most sacred part of the temple back in the, the Israelis' days was, was the naos. It was the Holy of Holies. So he, he wanted his son's heart to be this inner sanctuary that houses the word of God. He wants God's word to be what his son treasures the most. And some questions I asked last week, slide five, was this. For you and I to be thinking about this. Is God's word, be honest, what we treasure the most? 
remember, your treasure is what gives your life value. So is God's word what you and I treasure the most? Do, do we, church, do we, do we place any value on it at all? Or, or does God's word get the least amount of time each week in your life? Oh, it's getting quiet now. It's getting quiet. And think about it. You got your Bible here, and you got that TV, the idiot box. I'm sorry, I mean the TV here. Who wins in the home? Ask yourself, who wins? And I know there are tough questions to ask, but I want you to be thinking about your relationship with the Lord, because someday when you drop dead, you're going to be standing before Him. Church, is the way that we're living out each day, is that revealing to others that we even value the Word of God? Does the Word of God influence and show up in your behavior and your speech? And if you remember in Psalm 119, verse 11, David says, Your Word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let me read that again nice and slow so you really can capture what it's saying. Your Word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Solomon, church, he wants these commands to be the guiding principle in his son's life. You see, he wants his son to pay close attention to them in his life wherever he goes. He wants his son to actually live them out daily in his walk wherever he goes. How about you and I? God wants the same for all of us. God wants you and I to have a biblical, Bible-influenced, biblical worldview, not like the fool who lives his life without God. Slide 7 and 8. We looked at Proverbs 10, 14. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is his hand. And LT puts it this way. The wise stores up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites sin. Boy, we know that's true, isn't it, church? Think with me this morning. Wise men store up knowledge. Store up in the Hebrew has has this idea of hiding or covering up something, but for a specific purpose. So look at slide 9. How do we gain knowledge? I want to cover this a little bit more, and then we're going to jump in. We dig into the Scriptures daily to seek and memorize the Scriptures. Not occasionally, not when we feel like it. This includes meditating on what we learn from Scripture by listening to godly men and women who live out the Word of God in their lives each day as we observe their behavior and the way they speak. How about this? Practice integrity in everything you say or do. Slide 10. By prayer, prosukamai, by prayer, we pour out our hearts to Yahweh. And from Ecclesiastes 5.1, we guard our hearts. How? By being wise as to who you and I will allow to speak into our lives. Think about it. Who do you allow to speak in your lives? Is that person that's speaking in your life moving you more towards knowing the Lord in an intimate way? Or is that person speaking in your life to move you farther away from the Lord? And we apply God's Word to our lives as we strive to live it out each day. Church, we do not speak carelessly or foolishly, but only when the occasion calls for it. So wisdom comes to you and I by receiving into our hearts God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word. And then we had looked at verse 2, slide 11 and 12. Solomon goes on, says, Son, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. And of course, you can look at the NLT. Tune your ears to wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. So ask yourself the question, okay, well, Solomon, Solomon, what did you mean 
when you said make your attentive? The, the Hebrew word there is kashab. It, it means to give heed to something. Pay close attention. Be very mindful and observant. That's attentiveness. And then incline, the nauta in the Hebrew means to stretch or spread out, to bend down. And then we looked at how John Kitchen understood this verse in slide 13. John Kitchen in his commentary says this about this verse. To incline one's heart is to extend it, to bend it purposefully in a certain direction. The heart is the center of who you are. It describes our intellectual and reasoning abilities. He goes on to say this, If I am to function wisely and successfully in God's world, I'm sorry, it will require knowing who I am, what I value, who I listen to. Church, who do you tell yourself who you are? Think about it. If it's just you standing in the mirror looking at each other, who do you tell yourself who you are? No one talks to you more than yourself. Remember that. Uh-oh, it's getting quiet. What do you value the most? What do you listen to? Does it make you want to know the Lord more in an intimate way? Again, Solomon, in this verse, wants his son to tune into, pay very close attention by receiving and obeying the Lord's commands. He wants him to incline her, bend his ear down carefully to hear what his dad is trying to impart to him. Slide 14, Proverbs 2, 3 and 4. He says, Son, if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. Look at verse 4. Now he's talking about wisdom here. If you cry for discernment and you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver... Search for her as for hidden treasure. And then slide 15, the NLT. Cry out for insight. Ask Yahweh for understanding. Search for them as you would search for silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. I had to ask myself, okay, I wanted to really know, okay, Solomon, what did you mean when you're telling your son to cry out for discernment? That, 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 that word cry is, is kind of interesting. It, it has the idea in the Hebrew of, of like an impatient crying of a child to its mom. Think about that. That word cry has a lot of meaning in it that we don't always see in our English translations, church. But that, that word kara, it, it has the idea of an impatient child crying out to his mom. And he's calling her out by name. So it also has the idea of calling by name. And I said, well, where else is that word used to help me really get some more understanding? It's Exodus 3, 4, slide 16. When Yahweh saw that he turned aside, he's talking about Moses turning aside to look at the burning bush, God called, same word, God called to Moses by name, church, in the midst of the bush that was not being consumed. And he says, Moses, Moses, he's, he's calling, he's in calling out to him by name. Moses says, here I am. So that idea of crying out is, is, is you know, call out to Yahweh by, by name. And then he uses the word discernment. So uh, discernment, what does it mean? It means knowledge, church, understanding. Church, the idea is to grasp and comprehend something that's kind of obscure, right? Crying out for insight, asking for understanding. Notice that both words are action words, they're verbs. If you guys remember in your fourth grade English, an action, a verb is an action word, right? So these are verbs, these are action words. They're not sedentary words. And they're, they're describing for you and I something that I want us to grasp here. There is this desperate pleading of a person who is lacking something they don't yet possess, but they truly need. 
Think about the child crying out for his mom. He, by name, mommy, mommy. He, there's something he doesn't have that he needs. And then I, you know, this had me looking at James 1.5. We had looked at this way back when I started the series. Slide 18 to 19. James, addressing this Jewish church, he says, Listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously, without reproach. It's going to be given to you. And the New English in our modern-day vernacular says it this way. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And He's going to give it to you. And He's not going to rebuke you for asking. Like the Greek words, lacking wisdom. The idea of lack has the idea of you're destitute for something. It's absent in your life. You're without it. You don't have it, but you need it. Wisdom, Sophia, has the idea of a skill, expertise, deep insight, deep understanding. So if I'm lacking the skill, the expertise, and the deep understanding, you know, James is saying, ask God. And the word ask in the Greek is what we call a present active imperative. It means to continually be asking. You don't ask today and not tomorrow. If you're lacking wisdom on something, if you've got some decisions you need to make, about a relationship or finances. He's like, keep on asking. It's a present active verb there. James says this also here, if you remember from before. If you continue to ask, he's going to give it generously. He gives it willingly and freely. God's not stingy with it. And he gives it unconditionally. And he gives it without reproach. A latotes there, without reproach. So what does, what does it mean to reproach somebody? Well, you know, the idea of reproaching here has the idea of reprimanding somebody or casting insults at somebody or criticizing them in an abusive, angry, insulting manner. You have that reproach. You don't like that person. So you're, you're insulting them. You're criticizing. You're abusive. You're speaking angry. You're hurling out profanity at them. All that. That's reproaching. But, but James is saying without the reproach, he says, listen, it will be given to him generously. So Solomon, or James is trying to say, listen, God will never criticize you, insult you, reprimand you when you're asking him honestly for wisdom and direction for your life. Then he continues back in Proverbs, uh, in slide 19, verse 4 of chapter 2. If you seek, now look at these words, don't miss them. If you seek her as silver... And you search for her as hidden treasure. Now think about the word seeking and searching for a moment. Think about that. Do we do that when it comes to God's word? Do we dig in? So I had to ask myself, okay, Solomon, what did you mean when you use these words seek and search? Well, seek means to strive after something, really. And search, kofos, means to look carefully for something, to conceal something, something that is sought after. So you're striving and you're seeking after something. You're searching carefully something. I want you to look at these words. There, there's a sense of emotion in all of this, in this seeking and searching. So I, I get the sense from the Hebrew here that Solomon wanted his son to make this behavior what his son, you, his son would continue to do throughout his life. The Bible is not a coffee table book where you're, it, it's closed up like this during the week. You're, not, you know, you're crying out to God, but God wants to speak to you when this is closed up. When this is opened up and you're reading it, God's speaking. So you know, we're watching 70 hours of mind-numbing television and all that stuff, and then Saturday night comes, oh, I got church tomorrow, and there's a pile of dust, and you're, don't want people to think I'm not in the Word of God. No, 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 no. So think about it. Now, I know none of you all that way. I'm sure you're in your Bible three hours a day. I understand that. I understand. That's okay. But, but, but there's emotion here. He's, he's like, son, continue to dig. Continue to dig, son. Seek and search. Strive after it, son. Look carefully into the mirror of the word of God, son. Conceal it in your heart. Let it be something that you, you seek after throughout your entire life. Slide 20. How about us? Here's some 
real challenge questions for us this morning. Because I was challenged. I crawled under my desk when I was reading this. What would be different in your life and my life if we made a commitment to be seeking and searching the Scriptures daily throughout our lives? What would be different in your life three months, six months, or a year from now if you got serious with God and you wanted to hear from Him and you dug into His Word? What changes as a result of that would you and I be making if we turned our hearts away from the worldly wisdom that does not submit to God's authority, and we turn our minds into the Word of God and Scripture, said, Lord, speak to me. Because you're the only one that's never going to lie to me and is always going to tell me the truth. So think about it. If you really made a commitment to do it, how would your life be different? I know it's changed my life. The more I get into the Word of God, the more I see how desperately I am in need of Christ. How about you? How about you? See, Solomon here also, he's using terminology and things back in that day. So he's speaking about wisdom as, as, this precious, as precious metals of silver and gold that need to be sought after. Now, back in Solomon's day, which I found interesting, silver was actually priced higher than gold. Silver had a higher value back in that day than gold did. Silver and gold church were so precious and valued that it had to be hidden in secret places to protect. Think about the analogy there. Silver and gold had to be hidden in secret places. And, and son, hide God's word in your heart that you may not sin against him. Right? There was a great deal. Now think about this. When, when it comes to mining, there was this great deal of labor that was involved in mining and smelting silver. Solomon is saying, search for her as you would be searching for hidden treasure. Think about this this morning, church. If a person is going to acquire silver and gold, that person is going to need to work for it. If a person wants to acquire wisdom, that person is going to need to work for it. This also reveals just how valuable wisdom is from God to you and I. See, way back in history, you know, we read about... In Early in elementary school even, people would leave everything behind for the promise of getting rich by prospecting for gold. Searching reveals the work involved in gaining wisdom. Seeking and searching. It's right there in the scripture. That's what we're supposed to do. There's our commands and marching orders on how to get wisdom from scripture. There is a discipline required to work to gain it. If the desire for is lacking, the person searching for it just gives up before they ever obtain it. I like slide 21. I like what Charles Bridges says in his commentary about it. Now, follow along with me on this one. To read instead of searching the Scriptures, look at it, to read instead of searching the Scriptures is only to skim the surface and gather up a few superficial notions. I read for two minutes today. You put the Bible away and just carry on. The rule of success is to dig up and down the field, and if the search is discouraging, you dig again. The patient, systematic effort required by reading and rereading will uncover the buried treasure. What miner would be content with the first ore? Slide 22. Would he not search deeper and deeper until he has found all of the ore? Not satisfied with taking away much, but determined to leave nothing. That's pretty powerful. Deuteronomy 4.29, slide 23. But from there you will seek Yahweh your God. You will find him if, there's that conditional clause, if you search for him with all your heart and your soul. Is Jesus worth the work, church? Just imagine, just imagine with me this morning what you will learn and gain from just being on the journey and not celebrating the end result, but the journey, church. Being on the journey. I'm hoping by now we can see that life isn't about gaining things or being rich in worldly goods or anything like that, but about Christ. All of the scriptures point to the one Redeemer, Jesus Christ. 
Look with me at verse 5, slide 24 and 25. So he tells us, if I do this, if I search, if I seek, if I listen, if I do all these things, there is the then. There is the if. Here's the end result. Then you will discern the fear of Yahweh and discover the knowledge of God. For Yahweh gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. How's the NLT put it? Slide 25. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain the knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. So here's the outcome. What is the end result, church? He tells us right here, if I do these things, if I'm digging and searching in the word so God can speak to me, he says, the fear of Yahweh and knowledge of God. That's what I'm going to get. John Kitchen in his commentary says this in slide 26. To possess the fear of the Lord is to embrace reality. It describes a biblical world view. It describes the perspective of the person who has come to see the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. That's Psalm 24.1. It describes an informed and appropriate perspective of who God is and who I am before him. Who are you before the Lord? You ever think about it? You know, we see that word Adam in the, you know, and God formed Adam from the dust of the ground or man. That word there is Adama. It's, it means red clayish dirt. I mean, we are nothing but packaged dirt that God loves. But look at all that he's willing to do. But he, and he gives us a soul. It's exciting when you think about it. So this idea of fear here isn't the idea of quaking in your boots. The, the idea here is this reverential, deep, and profound love and respect for God. Ask yourself this honest question. Do you and I have a deep and profound love and respect for God? And if we say we do, how does it show up in your life? When you're confronted with somebody that you're arguing, are you trying to remember who you are in Christ and find a way to work through it? Or are you just freaking out, throwing out, you know, hurling out profanity like a junkyard dog. Think about it. Think about it. Oh, it's getting so quiet in here. Think about it. Amen. Do we really understand what it means to fear him? Let me share what Thomas Wace says in his commentary, slide 27. God must be the object of our fear. Again, that's, you know, seeing him in awe and love and respect. Not as dreading his wrath, but with reverential respect and awe before him, with holy jealousy, careful not to offend him, and in all his worship and ways solicitous, meaning care and concern to please him. Do we think about when we wake up each day, Lord, how can I please you and serve you today? You know, you wake up in the morning, it's like, Lord, what do you want me to do for you today? You know, I know I have a job that I got to do. Lord, how do you want me to represent you at work? Church, do we do that? Do we do that? Solomon says, and discover the knowledge of God. The Hebrew word for knowledge, uh, it doesn't mean, listen, this word of knowledge here, and we got to really be careful. Again, our English doesn't always do it justice. The word is dahath. So the Hebrew here is, is it just not knowing like this, but it's, it's much deeper than that. See, the word of knowledge here, the way Solomon is using the word in the Hebrew, has the idea of this intimate, deep knowledge that is gained by personal and experiential relationship with somebody. You know, um, I'll always tease people, my wife knows me better than I know me, and that's the truth, right? So there is this intimate, deep, experiential, relational type of experience with somebody you know them deeply so he says you will discover that he's saying in our vernacular be you know son if you do this you're going to discover the knowledge of god you're going to have this deeper experiential relationship where you know him 
It is God's desire, church, that you and I would know him deeply and personally. Think about it. If you know him deeply and personally, is his name safe in your mouth when you're going through a hard time? Or are you taking his name in vain because you think he's just abandoned you or left you behind? Oh boy, it got quiet again in here. I want you to think about it. You know, if you know somebody intimately and deeply, think about it. Dude, does that describe us? Well, how does that happen? Well, he's already told us. The way that God speaks to us directly is through his word. His inerrant, infallible, inspired word. His logos, his word. His rhema, his word. Here's John Kitchen again. First, let me say this, and then it will be at slide 28. Listen as we seek and search as we grow in our understanding of who God is. The Holy Spirit never works independently from the Word. You've heard me say it a thousand times. He's going to enlighten God's Word into our minds. So John Kitchen says this, The reason one finds God when he seeks wisdom is that only God can dispense true wisdom. Notice that what verse 5 describes as being found is in fact given. Wisdom is a gift of grace. No amount of human effort can acquire it. Our diligent search is required, but it is not efficient apart from God's grace. The grace both to seek and the grace to discover. That the Lord is the sole and only source of true wisdom is emphasized by throwing of his name forward at the lead of the sentence. Wow. Think about that. When I was looking at all that church, it it made me go back to James 3 again. Look at slide 29 and 30. This is what James says about this, this Sophia, this wisdom, or the Hebrew word is chakma. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now look at that list again before we slide on. Take a look at that. The wisdom that is coming down from above, from God, is pure, it's peaceable. You you know how to communicate with people. It's gentle. It's reasonable. You're willing to shut up long enough to hear what the other person's point of view is before you just start thinking about it, you're going to rattle a rebuke. Oh boy, it got quiet again. Full of mercy. Are we people full of mercy, especially when we're injured? Good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. New Living puts it this way in slide 30. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. And willing to yield to others. Uh Uh-oh. It's full of mercy. The fruit of good deeds. Look at this. I like how they put this. Instead of unwavering, church, it shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. Mm, always sincere. 31. So James gives us eight identification marks that true godly wisdom produces in our lives. Here's, here's the acid test. If you're really walking with the Lord, you're going to see some of this start to really show up as God's word turns you more towards walking in obedience with him and putting him on full display in the lives of the people he brings your way. So look at this, the wisdom from above. As we've been learning is God's divine wisdom. This is the wisdom that God gives to those who have come to a saving faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you come to a saving relationship with Christ? So, pure. What does He mean by pure? The first word is pure. Slide 31. The Greek word is hognos. It means something that's free from contamination and defilement. A person who is wise keeps himself free from contamination and defilement. What are you and I allowing into our life that contaminates us from the inside out? What are we watching? What are we listening to? 
What are we allowing to disciple us in a subconscious way when we're sitting there? Does television shows make you want to get revenge because in 32 minutes the person that did some harm gets, gets taken out or something? So Hognos has the idea is free from contamination and defilement. There's a, you're, you're keeping yourself set apart for the Lord. You're also, listen, you're protecting your walk with the Lord so that the Lord can use you for His glory. Not Satan's glory, but His glory. So then pure wisdom is holy wisdom that comes from above. God's Word implanted in your heart and my heart, listen, has a way of cleaning us up from the inside out. What does Psalm 139 verse 23 say? It's not on the slides. Search me, Lord, and know me. But again, there's the same word, the idea of digging, digging. God digs into the areas of your heart that you didn't even realize were there. And God starts that, that taking that ginseng knife, he starts cutting out that contamination with the, with the word because the word of God is living and active and sharper than what? Any two-edged sword, right? Boy, you guys know your Bible. I'm proud of you. <laughs> then he says in slide 31, also peaceable. That means non-confrontational. That means somebody that's not a hothead. They're even-tempered. A person who possesses godly wisdom is someone who will not create conflict by their selfishness. How easy it is for you and I to create conflict if we're selfish, church. You see, the peaceable person is not going to seek to inflame arguments to get their own way because they think they're always right. Think of it. That had me reflecting on Philippians 2.3, slide 32. Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, says, Listen, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Or in our vernacular, don't be self-centered. But humility of mind. You're regarding one another as more important than yourself. The opposite of what the world wants you and I to do, is it not? That's why the lottery thing, everybody's buying them scratch-off tickets. Oh, if I win that $5 billion, oh, 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 I'll give the church some money. Okay. Or as Dr. Lurch would say, uh uh-huh, right. So someone who is peaceable promotes peace through being humble. So slide 33, here's some questions to ask yourself. Am I a person who promotes peace in my relationships through humility? Mm-mm. Wow. Do I consider the needs of others first, or do I find myself to be self-serving? Tough questions, aren't they? Don't worry, I'm almost done. Listen, I only have 28 more pages. I promise you'll be out of here by 4. It's okay. I'm kidding. Amen. Slide 34. James moves on. I'm going to try to bang these out real quick now. Gentle. Epekos. Somebody who is tender, sympathetic, considerate, compassionate. Tender, sympathetic, considerate, compassionate. Is that an area that you need to work in your own life? I know I do. How about you? To help us understand this better, I want you to consider what the opposite behaviors look like. So gentleness is tender, sympathetic, considerate, or compassionate. The opposite of that is criticizing, condemning, cruel, neglectful. What did Paul teach us in 2 Timothy 2.24? Slide 35. Yahweh's sponsor. And by the way, that's the word there is doulos. God's slave must not be quarrelsome, meaning he must not be argumentative. He must not be somebody that's confrontational or combative. Is that something that we need to work on? Do you find yourself being combative or argumentative or confrontational a lot with people? He says, but instead, be kind to all, able to teach, patient, enduring when you're wronged. How hard is it for us to learn how to be patient when we're wronged? Oh, boy. Ah, man. Boy, it's getting quiet, quiet, quiet. With gentleness. Compassion, tenderness, correcting those who are in opposition. How are you doing it? 
tenderly, compassionately, if perhaps God would grant them repentance, turning away from that behavior, leading to the knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses. Think about it. You doing it God's way could pull somebody out of the flames of hell. Think about that. Escape the snare of the devil. Listen, the devil wants to destroy you. That's the one thing we got to remember. The devil, the devil likes to disciple you through the flesh. He wants to destroy your walk. He wants to destroy your life. Paul is saying that they can come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, who's having been held, holding them captive to do his will. I had to look at this verse and say, are there behaviors in my life that I don't even realize that are really doing the enemy's will? And I don't even realize what I don't know. That's how deceptive. See, Satan's not an idiot. He's very deceptive. And he's the father of all lies. Be careful who you allow to speak into your life. I'm begging you, be careful. And then reasonable. You paint this. A reasonable person is somebody who's fair-minded. Somebody who is willing to yield and consider another person's viewpoint without disputing or fighting. They're not thinking about the rebuttal while the other person's talking. They're thinking about, okay, I want to really seek first to understand before being understood. I want to hear them out. I want to hear them because I need to know where they're coming from, what they're thinking about. Then I can give them a rational, biblical response to something. Amen? Does that make sense? Teachable, rational, fair-minded, not stubborn. Here's some other diagnostic questions. Slide 37. Think about it. Do the people who know you and know me, do they find you and I to be a reasonable person? Be honest. Yes? No? I mean, just think about it. Do they find you to be someone who's reasonable? Or do they see you and I as someone who is argumentative one who always seems to be hot-headed and wants to argue, wants to get their point across because they're always right. You see, if you, I'm trying to break this down so you can see how the Word of God gets in there and it starts to do the job. It starts to churn up those things that we have so lodged in and hidden we don't even realize we're doing it. This is what happens if you're willing to allow yourself to get in the Word of God Dig into the Word of God and let God speak to you through your Word so we can clean you and I from the inside out, not from the outside in, church. And then, just about done, full of mercy. The word there is compassionate. The Greek word is elos. Compassion, grace, forgiveness, leniency. Church, listen, a person who is full of mercy is one who reveals that he or she is living a transformed life by forgiving those who have hurt him or her and is willing to reach out and help those who are in need. Think about that. Do you ever really think about, ask yourself this, if a young person came up to you and said, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, I need to have a working definition of the word forgiveness for my class. So I need to define the word. What would come to your mind if you had to give a working, understanding definition of the word forgiveness? I want you to think about that. Think about that. See, forgiveness, biblical forgiveness means that you seek not to harm the party that offended you and you absorb the cost yourself because that's what Jesus did for you and I. Amen. True biblical forgiveness, if you want to know the real working definition, it's very simply this, that you choose not to make the offending party pay for how they harmed you. You're willing to absorb the cost yourself. That doesn't mean that you become a sin archaeologist grabbing something somebody did 10 or 15 years ago, pulling it out of the pyre, hurling out of your mouth like a weapon of mass destruction. Now, I know none of you all do that. You remember what you did three years, two minutes, and 22 seconds ago? You remember that? Mm. No, you choose not to make it. You don't bring it up. The Bible doesn't say you don't forget. That's a lie. You'll always remember because God gave you a mind and a memory. But it means that you choose not to make the person that hurt you pay for what they did and you absorb the cost yourself. Christ modeled that for every one of us. Amen. Don't ever forget that. And then he finishes up with good fruits. That's just good works or deeds. 
as believers in Christ, followers of Christ, well, you and I should be known for doing good. It's a way of demonstrating our faith in Christ. Finally, unwavering without hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy has the idea of not being divided. You're pretending to be this when you're really this. You know, it's funny, that word hypocrites is where we get our English word actor from. I don't know if you remember this, but I think Dr. Carr and I had taught on this before, but a hypocrite is somebody who was an actor. Back in those days, they would just have a mask on the stage. They didn't have what we have today with CGI and video. And so they would pretend to be somebody different than they, who they really were. So he's saying unwavering and following these things that we've learned from James, but not pretending to be somebody we're not. Okay? Church, there should be no uncertainty or inconsistency in our behavior. We should be treating everyone as equals without showing favoritism, without hypocrisy, not to pretending to be someone we're not. Okay? James is, is, is saying this. We are not to have that type of behavior. It is deceitful to pretend to be a Christian when you're really not one. Who you are on the inside, sooner or later, is going to reveal itself on who you are on the outside. So let me ask you this. I'm going to close. I want you to think about this. If you, I love to end with the gospel. If you were to die today, whether a heart attack, hit by a car, falling down steps, whatever. They hit you with the paddles and they can't bring you back. Your life here is over. And you were ushered into the presence of God. And you were to stand before him and ask him, well, God, God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? I want you to really think about what your answer, because there's only one true answer to that question. Why should... Here's that, very good. Why should... Because... Jesus, you took the worst of me and put it on yourself. And you took the best of you and you put it on me. Your crimson blood washed away my sin. And I placed my faith into you, trusting into you. What does that mean? To trust in, rely on, have confidence in what Christ has done on your behalf on that cross at Calvary. That Jewish carpenter that hung there and died 2,000 years ago to pay your sin debt in full. The only way you will ever enter into heaven is not by good works. It's not by being a good person. It's because of what Christ did for you on your behalf. Listen, there is no act by where you and I, on our own, can make ourselves right without God. It just can't happen. Why? Because you and I were dead in our sins and trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. You were physically alive but spiritually dead. So the only way that you can respond is if God quickens you, wakes you up spiritually, so when you hear the gospel that I'm giving you, you can repent and believe. Dead people, I've, I've been to many funerals, I've done them. I've never seen a dead person get up and change his mind. They're dead. And we are spiritually dead unless God wakes us up. So if you're here today, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's a chance for you to do business with God. I'm insignificant. I am just packaged dirt. On Judgment Day, I'm going to be standing right next to you. Not here and you here. Trust me. Have you come to the place in your life when you realize that you have no act on your own to make yourself right with God? You can't buy your way, bargain your way, help the old lady across the streets. Good, but that's not going to get you in heaven. I want you to think clearly about it. Have you come to the place where you've surrendered your entire life to Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus died on that cross, shed that crimson blood as payment for your sin debt? Like I said, he took the very worst about me and he took the very worst about you and he took it upon himself. The Father literally placed all of our sin on him. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we may become the righteous of God. So it's placed on him. Then the Father didn't stop there. He took the best about his son. He says, look, sinner, I'm going to place it on you. I'm going to read something to you. It just came to my mind. This was sent to me. I can't remember who sent it. It's called the Bummer Lamb. Listen to this. Take one minute. <clears throat> Every once in a while, a hue, a hue lamb will give birth to a lamb, and the hue lamb will reject it. Many reasons why she may do this. If the lamb is returned to the hue, the mother may even kick the poor animal away. 
Once a ewe rejects one of her lambs, she will never change her mind. These little lambs will hang their heads so low that it looks like something is wrong with their neck. Their spirit is broken. These lambs are called bummer lambs. Unless the shepherd intervenes, the lamb will die, rejected and alone. What's the shepherd do? He takes the rejected little one into his home, hand feeds it, keeps it warm by the fire, wraps it up with a blanket and holds it to his chest so the bummer can hear his heartbeat. Once the lamb is strong enough, the shepherd will place it back in the field with the rest of the flock. But the sheep never forgets how the shepherd cared for him when his mom rejected him. When the shepherd calls for the flock, guess who runs to him first? That's right, the bummer sheep. He knows his voice intimately. It's not the bummer's loved more. It just knows intimately the one who loves it and has experienced that love one-on-one. Can that be said about you and me? So many of us are bummer lambs, rejected and broken. But Christ is the good shepherd. He cares for every need and holds us close to his heart so we can hear his heartbeat. What do you think, church? How about you? Does that describe you? Someday you're going to die and you're going to stand before him. Do you have an intimate personal relationship with him? You don't have to leave here the same way you came in. My, my admonishment to all of you is to take and spend some time each day in the Bible. Here's what I usually do with the people that I can do counseling in my practice or work with. Just one chapter of Proverbs a day. Just one. Just one. If you read one chapter of Proverbs a day, I promise you at the end of a whole year, you'll have read each chapter 12 times. Don't tell me that won't change you. Don't tell me. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his counsel upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. Meet